thank you for listening to the weekly message at First Baptist Church in Bushland, Texas. I'm just really searching right now. I mean, my favorite professor doesn't even believe in God. And my roommate is part of this totally different religion that's it's actually pretty interesting to me. And then there's my boyfriend who just kind of picks and chooses from different religions. You know, I, I always thought I knew what I believed about God. Now I'm just not sure. Well, the good news is it doesn't really matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere. I shouldn't even have to tell you this, but God never said that. Okay. Did God ever say that? Are you sure? I hope you have your Bibles today. We're going to finish this series. The pastor um, began a few weeks ago with God wants you to be happy. That's not in the Bible, is it? God wants you to be happy. Hopefully you were here. It's a great series. Remember what the pastor delivered that day. Secondly, he talked to us about God won't give you more than you can handle. You know, we've taken a verse in the context of temptation, and put it in the context of suffering, especially the suffering of the innocent, and said, well, you know, God won't let you go through more than you can handle. Well, that's not true. A lot of junk in life is more than you can handle as an individual, as a parent, uh, on yourself or on behalf of someone that you love. But it's never more than God can handle, is it? It's never more than he can handle. And then last week, Pastor spoke to us about it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you do. Today we're going to consider it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Now we want to talk to two different audiences today. First, believers and then unbelievers. And ho- hopefully you'll, uh, you'll pay attention throughout. We want to talk to two different audiences. You know, some believers say, you know, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior and I believe in Him, but I just try to keep an open mind about stuff. Keep an open mind about what Scripture says about life. But eventually, eventually you can get so open-minded that your brains fall out, right? Not just your Christian brain, but even your logic and your intellect. You can get so open-minded that your, that your, brains, your brains fall out. Now, let, let me get this straight. You want to accept what the Bible says about the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus, but you prefer that he stay out of your lifestyle or your politics or the other individual daily parts of your life. Is that what we're saying? Dads, does that work for us? If our teenagers come to us and say, Dad, you know, I appreciate the food and the shelter and my car, but you know what you can do with your opinions about my lifestyle and my relationships even my homework and my sleep schedule. Dad, you know what you can do with that, right? Dads would be like, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? And yet we try, some Christians try to do that with God, don't we? God, I, I, I want your love and your forgiveness, and I really, really want to go to heaven. But what you have to say about unborn life, just keep that to yourself, God. What you have to say about marriage being between one man and one woman for life, God, you, you, you know what you can do with that. God, what you have to say about how I live my life 
in relationships before marriage and during marriage and if there's no marriage. God, you just sort of keep those opinions to yourself. I really want to go to heaven. I really need to be forgiven, but I don't really care what you have to say about my everyday life. Does that work for God? If it doesn't make any sense for earthly dads, why would it make any sense for our heavenly father to go, you know, that's just okay. As long as you accept Christ as your Savior, you can do whatever you want with your beliefs and with your life. It doesn't work that way, does it? It's a proven fact. If you change the way a person thinks, you change the way they act. Belief comes before action. Let's look at 2 Timothy briefly. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed. Inspired of God, some translations say, and is useful or profitable or helpful, first for teaching, then for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the word there for God breathed or inspired of God, it's not an easy word to remember. It's theopneustos, but in the middle there we hear pneuma. The breath of God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the pneuma of God, the wind of God. Some of you that are skilled, you have pneumatic tools. The intense focus of air coming from your compressors and through your tools, can, can, you, you can do some good things with it, right? Well, the intense focus of the breath of God coming to us through the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, God is the one who delivered Scripture to us from his very inspiration, from his very breath, from him, his very self. Look at what it says. All scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired of God. It's literally from God. There are many writers of scripture, but there's only one author of scripture, and it's God. We often talk about the apostle Paul wrote, and that's true, but he didn't author. God did. We often talk about the apostle John or the prophets in the Old Testament or Moses and his his secretary, his amanuensis, wrote down the first five books. But there's only one author in Scripture. There's only one who gave us Scripture, and it's the very breath of God. It wasn't somebody in Rome or somebody in Jerusalem or somebody in Washington, D.C. The Word of God came from the person of God, and it is all profitable. It's all useful. It's all helpful. Notice what it says in that Scripture. First, it's useful for teaching. It's useful for teaching. The Bible tells us in every part of life, there's not one experience or situation that the Bible hasn't addressed. You say, well, the Bible was written thousands of years before stuff like social media and like modern day politics. It doesn't matter. God has spoken to everything that's important, and if he hasn't spoken to it, you should just leave it alone. You got it? So everything in life that counts God has spoken to it. That's his teaching. He tells us in every facet of life, here's the right path for this specific situation. It's useful, profitable for teaching. Second, notice the scripture says, it's useful or profitable for rebuking. Hey, hey, you got off the right path. You're off. You're off. Hello. The Holy Spirit of God is waving these giant flags to try to get you to recognize that you're off the path. That's the rebuking profitability 
of Scripture. Third, look at it again. This is for believers. Holy Spirit just doesn't go, hey, you idiot, you're off the path. Holy Spirit goes, hey, you're off the path. Let me show you how to get back on the path with the Word of God. Correcting. See, if God didn't love us as much as He does, He could just whack us upside the head, wipe us from existence, and get out of the will of God and cause them problems and being stumbling blocks. But he loves us so much, he doesn't just tell us how to accept Jesus and how to live. But when we fall off the path, he calls out to us, he comes and gets us, and he shows us the correction that we need to get back on path. In our thinking, in our thinking, if you change the way a person thinks, you change the way they act, and in our actions. The Word of God is useful, it's profitable, it's helpful. Fourth, notice what it says. It's profitable for training in righteousness. Now this is what the Bible says through the Holy Spirit of God. Let me show you how to stay on the right path. How to stay on the path. The counsel of God, the Word of God is profitable. It's useful. It's helpful. It's the very breath of God. It doesn't flow out of a human being. It flows out of the person of God. And now you can see when politicians or professors or somebody else says, this is a political opinion that you have, you can say with confidence, oh, no, 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 no. This flows from the very breath of God. What I believe flows from God. I couldn't make this stuff up on my own. I can't maintain this way of thinking and this way of life on my own. But I can trust God, the one who authored it, because it comes from his very being. It comes from his breath through the men of God that wrote down Scripture for God for us. Don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. Just con- if you're a believer, just consider Scripture. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what our pastor thinks. It doesn't matter what our politicians think. It doesn't matter what Washington thinks or or your banker, or your lawyer, or your doctor. It matters what God has said on every subject in life. Consider Scripture. Well, what if you're not a believer? What if you're not a believer? How about this? If you're not a believer and Scripture doesn't hold any value for you yet, consider, just consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Not religion, not religion, not even our church. You guys hot today? The pastor's out. Somebody turn the thermostat up, right? Maybe it's just me. You're like, I'm comfortable for the first time in months. <laughs> Ladies are all laughing because they are, right? You can leave it there. When he's coming back next Sunday, no, you know he's going to jack it back down, right? That's one of the things I love about him as a 260-pound man. Don't consider the thermostat today. Consider Jesus. Not not even the lives of so-called Christians around you. Just consider Jesus. You may have heard this story. There was a years ago in what is now modern-day Pakistan. Years ago, there was a, a servant boy. And he was a great worker. He was a he was a teenager and he was a great worker. And he was a servant for this lady from England and her household. And and she loved him. He worked great. I mean, he you talk about work ethic, this kid had it. And he worked hard for her. But after six weeks of being on the job, he said, I'm sorry to tell you, tomorrow's my last day. And she said, no, that can't be true. You're the best 
You're the best worker I've ever had. It can't be true. He said, well, I must leave because I made a decision. She said, well, what led to your decision? He said, well, before I came to work for you, I was contemplating whether to become a Christian or a Muslim. And so I devised a plan. My plan was that I'll work for a Christian for six weeks and watch their life and see if they live what they believe, and then I'll go work for a Muslim for six weeks and see what they believe by how they live. The lady said, that's not fair. You can't do that. I didn't know you were watching me. Listen, I'm not asking you today to watch me or any other Christian because we'll let you down. Whether we're putting on a show or we're living for real, we know you're watching or don't know you're watching. If you haven't given your life to Christ, just consider Jesus. Don't consider us. Just consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. First, consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry of Jesus. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, look at Mark 2, when they saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are, wait, wait, that was Billy Joel. That wasn't Jesus. Let's go back to verse 17. On hearing this, sorry. See what's important to stick with scripture? Not what Billy Joel says. Just wanted to make sure you're still here, teenagers. Verse 17, you're like, who is Billy Joel? He was married to Christy Brinkley. That's what all of us wanted to be, was married to Christy Brinkley when we were teenagers. All right, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners, the people, that, the, the people that everybody despised are the ones that Jesus pursued. The ones that they rejected are the ones that he accepted, right? He said, I didn't come to hang out with the Pharisees, the guys who have at least the first five books of the Old Testament memorized word for word in the Hebrew. I didn't come for those religious people. I came for the people that are rejected, that are despised, that recognize that they're sinners. That's who I came to, to embrace. Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. Sometimes he just did it direct, pointed at the eyes, healed. One time he spit in the mud, made some mud and packed it on the guy's eyes and told him to go and wash. He caused deaf people to be able to hear. He called lame people to be able to walk. He, called, he caused mute people to be able to speak. He even raised Lazarus from the dead. And check it out in Scripture. Check it out in Scripture. The Pharisees and Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the rulers of the Sanhedrin, they never tried to argue and say that his miracles weren't real. Have you noticed that? They never said these miracles are fake. They just wanted them to stop. They just wanted them to go away. They didn't argue with the validity of the supernatural in the life of Jesus. They just wanted it to go away. So consider the ministry of Jesus. His critics didn't question his miracles. They didn't question that he fed 5,000 plus with five biscuits and two fish sticks. They didn't question that. They didn't try to argue with it. Consider that Jesus. Consider that ministry of that man. Don't just consider his ministry. 
But consider the resurrection of Jesus. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. You can go around the world and visit the tombs and the shrines of world religious leaders from the past. And if they would let you without killing you, you could dig, most of them you could dig up their bones. I think Muhammad may have borrowed Elijah's chariot of fire or something. I can't remember exactly, but you can find the bones of these leaders. You can go to their tombs. Well, maybe not all of them. David Koresh, there may be just a pile of ash outside of Waco, but you, you get the point, right? You can go to visit the tomb of Jesus in the Holy Land, and guess what? It's empty, isn't it? It's completely empty. There's no bones there. There's no one there. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, it is finished. He said, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his spirit and died. And the Roman soldier at the foot of the cross looked up and said what? Surely this was the Son of God. And what happened three days later? Bam! Resurrection from the dead. Now, I don't know who you are, but if you're a religious leader and you rise from the dead, you can say and do anything you want, and it's truth, isn't it? If Jesus had said two plus two equals guacamole, then that's what we would have, right? The guy who rises from the dead is the king of them all, right? Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Even the Quran speaks to the resurrection of Jesus but ignores it. Can you believe that? Oh, yeah, there's this prophet Jesus among the seven or whatever, and, and he was killed and died, but he was resurrected. Well, that's the guy who's number one, right? The guy who rises from the dead gets to call the shots. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Now, let me say this. Some said, well, the Roman soldier stole the body. That's why there's no body. The disciples stole the body. They overpowered the Roman guard and stole the body. Let me ask you something. Does any sober, rational person believe that 11 guys from small town small-town Judea, uneducated, devised the most sophisticated plan and scheme that was ever thought of. <coughs> Didn't just devise it, but pulled it off. Overpowered Roman soldiers who were brainwashed and trained to fight to the death regardless of the assignment. Does anybody really believe that they stole this body? Okay, let's say you believe that. Think about this. Of all the Hebrew detectives in the Holy Land after Jesus, Jesus was resurrected. Don't you think all those detectives were put on the job by the Sanhedrin? Guys, you've got to find a body. We've got to have a body here. People are talking about, he said, I'm going to die and go to the grave and three days later be raised, and it happened, and we have got to find a body. Columbo, whoever the Judaistic counterpart was, Columbo is on the job. Everybody's on the job. The NCIS guys of that day are on the job. NCIS Palestine. They're looking for a body. Why did they not find a body? Because he was resurrected. And he was meeting with his disciples. And then he was ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he lives for you. He lives to pray for you to be saved if you're lost. He lives to pray for you to get a spiritual, mental, intellectual cleansing and believe what he's already given us to believe. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Consider 
the resurrection of Jesus. Last is this. Well, look at the scripture. Uh, go back to Acts 3.15. Acts 3.15. Notice what they said. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. We are witnesses of this. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Third is this. Well, finally is this. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. Look at Romans 3.22. I gave you the New Living Translation. Notice it says, We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Not placing your faith in a Christian or a religion or a church. By placing your faith in the person of Jesus. Notice this. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Religion says it's about what I do. Relationship says it's about what Jesus has already done. Religion says it's about me and my good works. Relationship says it's about Jesus, the person of Jesus. Religion says if I obey, then God will love me. Relationship says... Because God loves me, I get to obey. Consider the eternal message of Jesus. Forget about your skepticism. Forget about your skepticism. Forget about your politics, what you think is political versus scriptural. Forget about that. Forget about your lifestyle. Listen, forget about your sin. All you have to do if you have a sin problem in forgetting what God has said and you think you're so open-minded but your brains have fallen out, Jesus is a heart surgeon for salvation and he's a brain surgeon for believers who've gotten off track. He can put it back together. All you have to do is come to Jesus. If you've considered religion, you've considered Christians, and you don't like religion or Christians, that's good because today we're inviting you to come to Jesus just as you are. Come just like you are. Do you know this? Max Aceto wrote a great book on it. He said this. Here's his thesis. Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants you to be like him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of the fact that all Scripture comes from the breath of God. It's inspired of you, Father. All Scripture flows out of you, and it is useful. It's profitable. It's helpful in our lives. And God, we thank you for that. Thank you for that reminder today. And Father, if there's someone here who's been considering politics or considering Christians or considering religions, God, today we pray that they would consider the person of Jesus who had an earthly ministry who went to the cross of Calvary and was murdered, who, who went to the grave even, but God, today may they consider the King of Kings rose from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the God of the universe and he lives to pray that we might experience his love. Father, we thank you for that. We pray today, regardless of whether we're believers or unbelievers, that we would consider Jesus and that we would come to him just as we are and that, Father, if we've got a sin problem and we've gotten off the path of Scripture, that you would forgive us and bring us back. But Father, if there's someone here who's never really recognized their sin and 
said they can't save themselves, but God, they need you to save them, to forgive them, to be their forgiver and leader, their Savior and Lord. May they come to Jesus today just as they are and be forgiven and changed, not by religion, but by person. Thank you, God, for loving us just like we are, but thank you for loving us too much to leave us that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.